everybody and welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about board games and board games that you can put into your ears. I'm joined today by Quinton Smith. Hello, Tom Brewster. I'm here to talk about board games in an audio format. Never done this before. It's a first for Shut Up and Sit Down. I hope it goes well. <laughs> it's your first time on the podcast. Long-time <laughs> listeners might know Quinton for his review of Blood on the Clock Tower and other gems. Oh my god, Tom, listen, that. listen. You know how I did a very controversial review, video review of Blood on the Clock Tower for Shut Up and Sit Down? And a lot of yes. people said, I don't understand this. Quinn's going crazy. Why is he telling us to buy this £100 like reskin of Werewolf? And I, I just hoped that when that game finally fulfilled and shipped out to Kickstarter backers, they would say, Quinn's was right. And I was wrong to ever doubt him. This game is on another level to Werewolf and the Resistance and stuff. It's happened! It's finally started <laughs> happening. The the contact at shutupandsitdown.com inbox is filled with no less than two people who have emailed saying, <laughs> I have received my Kickstarter copy of Blood on the Clock Tower. It's out of, you know, COVID shipping hell. And you know what, Quinns? I went back and watched your review, and you were right. You were right this whole time. And like And just think, and just think, Quinns, about the hundreds of people who are quietly seething just outside of that inbox enraged at their copy of Blood on the Clock Tower. That's not what's happened. That hasn't happened. That can't happen. Don't tell me this. Don't ruin my energy at the start of the podcast. The other thing I have to... We're going to be talking about some actual board games uh, that are new on this podcast. We're going to be talking about Rush MD, a game that tasks you with running a hospital using sand timers. We're going to talk about Sobek 2 Players. You'll never believe it, but it's a re-implementation of a 2010 game called Sobek. And we're going to be talking about wormholes, which is the most fun I've had with a hole all week. Um, but listen, I just—I I had some trivia for the for the listeners I wanted to say before we before we get into this, and something that you don't know, Tom. Are you ready for this? Ooh. So okay. The listeners won't know this, but you and I have been playing racquetball of a Sunday morning. You and I go yeah. down to the leisure center like it's the 1980s. And we swing <laughs> some rackets. And do you remember which of us won our two best of three games on Sunday for the very first it, time? It was you. You were a king of the court. It was me. I beat you for the first time in months. And because I'm, and it, that's, that's challenging because I'm 35 and you're like 17 or whatever. Um, <laughs> and and the, the thing I have to tell you, Tom, is that I had to, the next day on Monday, I had to stop work early because I was so tired. Your beating you at racquetball impacted my productivity, um, my industriousness. That's that's what I had to pay in order to defeat your young supple body. I wonder why we cancelled our podcast record on Monday. That didn't. It was happen. because you got beaten into like the fifth dimension in, in racquetball. I beat you, but you know you beat me. Then yeah, I sorry. had to return to my home planet and lie in bed for like <laughs> yeah. twelve hours. Yeah. You won, but at what cost? I guess. Well, I know the exact cost. It was it was several hours <laughs> of productivity and a big lie down. <laughs> Up first, Tom and I are going to be talking about a new and exciting one. Well, it's not that new. A relatively, well, it's it's pretty exciting though. Uh, you know what? I've lost faith in this, but we'll power through. It's called Rush MD. Now, this is a game uh, that is in fact a kind of spin-off or sequel to a board game that Tom reviewed called Kitchen Rush. Uh, Tom, do you want to mm -hmm. give a quick 60 second pitch of Kitchen Rush? But if you want to, they can see your very funny review on youtube.com. In Kitchen Rush, you're running a big sort of like family run restaurant. You've got sand timers and use those sand timers to take actions like washing dishes or more excitingly, I probably should have led with this, preparing food that you then serve to customers. But it's kind of like, it's not a dexterity game. It's like a real time sort of 
panic simulator <laughs> kind of like uh <laughs> I, I guess it, I, there might be a tiny bit of comparison to something like space alert there where it's like you've got lots of plates that you have to spin all at once this time they're literal plates and you have to fill them with cheese uh, uh yeah uh, the the key mechanic in kitchen rush that carries over into rush md is that you place your little sand timer on a space which is an action you want to do so like bake a cake or whatever um but only when the sand has run out can you leave that space and move the sand timer somewhere else to do something else so it's these games are curiously they are real time and they're very tense and you have to do things very quickly but they have these lovely inbuilt moments of rest where you can do nothing but look at all the sand running through like eight sand timers and go whoo what happens now? <laughs> um, but if running a kitchen was stressful, Rush MD, the game we're talking about today, is the new sequel where you don't run a kitchen, you run a hospital. So rather than flipping a sand timer and then, you know, you've gone to the kitchen to get some more pasta, you're flipping a sand timer and you're doing like an MRI scan on someone who's about to die. Um, but like, it, it actually has a very similar rhythm. And in fact, um, this was in my review stack for a while and I didn't cover it because I actually felt it was too similar to Kitchen Rush and it didn't have... Um, enough to really make it distinct, and we'll get into why we're covering it uh, now in a little bit. Um, but yeah, mechanically, it's very similar. Where in Kitchen Rush, you would flip a sand timer and send it out front of house to receive, to take orders, which are then recipes that you have to cook. In Rush MD, the you, you go down to the reception of the hospital, and then you admit patients, which are kind of like food orders, except instead of food, it's injuries. And then you have to follow <laughs> recipes, but instead of recipes, it's like diagnoses. And then you have to use tweezers and syringes oh my goodness we should do you want to talk a bit about the props that come with this game yeah i was thinking about the fact that you were saying well the, like the key difference is in kitchen rush you'd take an order and that card would just sort of sit in your restaurant this time when you take a patient in you put them in their own personal little bed at the top of the board these tiny cardboard assembly beds that you then cart around to different parts of the board to go and treat them you have like full-on plastic syringes that you have to open every single time you want to use them and fill them with tiny little red wooden pellets that you're then going to deliver into a a, a, a guy. <laughs> yeah, our TPO games figured out that tiny plastic syringes that are genuinely used for squirting water around are the exact right <laughs> size to place wooden tokens. So in this game, you have IV fluid and blood, which you have to drain from uh, people to, to refill your blood supplies in the hospital. Um, you have to physically put wooden tokens into a plastic syringe and then hilariously put the full syringe in a hospital bed and you sort of cover the patient with things they need, which might be <laughs> syringes or like pills, but it might be organs. You might The patient yeah. might need a heart or a bone. And fabulously, these wooden organs need to be... You can only move an organ around the board by using tweezers because obviously anything else would be unhygienic. So it's like, oh, this patient needs a kidney. And then you go to pick it up with your fingers. And if you do so, oh no, that's medical malpractice and your hospital loses reputation. You have to put it back down and then pick it back up with tweezers. Um, there's no rule for, I, I've realized now, if you get your dirty germs over a kidney by physically picking it up with both hands, the game isn't like throw away the kidney. It's like, just put it back and then move it again with tweezers. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite, there's a sort of laissez-faire attitude to hygiene in the hospital generally where it's like, well, actually, you know what, this kind of ties into something that you were going to say um, about the game, sort of like generally you were going to say, <laughs> I sort of predicted the future okay. Quinn's uh, critique. You were saying when we were playing this uh, that like one of the things that might be kind of tricky about this game is that when you have lots of players, 
getting the rules right for what you can and can't touch with tweezers or what you can and can't do at certain times and how the sand timers work and all this stuff, enforcing those rules is kind of tricky without being like, kind of sounded like an ass. Yeah, um, this is often my you, problem with real time games, right? Is because when the game is running in real time, the person who owns the game has to spend an incredible amount of energy um, watching everybody while playing the game in real time to make sure people aren't cheating, which happens yep. a lot. Not cheating deliberately, I think, but yes. like people will accidentally miss rules, but they'll be so keen to keep playing that they won't notice it. And then, yeah, the game sort of unhinges a little bit like a door that's only bolted on on one hinge. Yeah, and then the only way, like, if you're, you could try and do that during the game, you could try and be like, ah, no, you can't do that, you can't do that. But then that kind of like kills the flow and makes you sound kind of, you know, a bit annoying. Um, or you can do it in between rounds and have kind of like this inter-round like scrum where you kind of collectively scold everyone for like picking up a kidney with their hands. <laughs> like it's, that's the one like problem with Rush MD, but it's not really much of a problem because this game is kind of fun as hell. <laughs> it is um, cool. I I've realized also, I forgot to mention the people who designed these games. Um, Rush MD was designed by the design team of Anthony Haugigo, Konstantinos Kokinis, and David Turchi. Um, who, I, well, at least two of whom are veteran designers. So it's no surprise this game is fun as hell. When we played this game, I put on, uh, I think you enjoyed the music choice that went on oh, the background I did. of this game. <laughs> it was a Cassiopeia album, which was kind of like some very like funky, jazzy stuff that sounded like something out of like a sort of 90s PC hospital game, but kind of on steroids. Mm. The point is, is that this game is like super, super hectic and very, very engaging the entire time because there's this lovely, like my favorite part of the entire game is the fact that you're cut cooperatively managing this hospital but you're also trying to kind of like push up a score so that you can succeed in a scenario means that people start taking like little personal risks and not telling other players about it <laughs> like there's a little system in the game where you have when you admit patients you can admit regular patients who are the ones that you need to diagnose by doing these little funky mini games and put them in hospital beds or you can have outpatients who you basically treat in the waiting room effectively and just dose them up on paracetamol and send them home mm. and outpatients are something that they're very quick to treat but can become a problem if you don't have the stuff in the pharmacy immediately on hand but what players will often do is especially if they're sat near that part of the board they'll just sneak in a couple of outpatients while they're waiting for something else to do and give them a few pills and then be like oh it's fine it's free points you know it was just i had spare time to do it but there was this amazing moment uh, in, in the last game I played with Matt where on the very last round of the four round game uh, with but a minute left on the timer, I decided to sneak in one outpatient just to bump up our score just a little bit. I turned them over and they needed so much stuff that we didn't have <laughs> and their condition was critical, which was the most horrible realization to have right at the end of the round because if you do not treat a critical patient within the time limit, they are going to die and you will lose a lot of medical points. Yeah, I, I, I'm torn because on the one hand, I do want to talk about all the stupid mini games that are in this game. Like you have to balance a sand timer on the corner of a bed to do a CAT scan <laughs> or something. And then, you know, there's there's looking for, you know, uh, uh, there's, there's outbreaks of like di infectious diseases that would affect everyone on a ward. So you want to try and split patients between multiple wards. Um, but Tom, I'm a boring man at heart. And as a boring man, what I find myself wanting to talk about is how compared to Kitchen Rush, Rush MD is a kind of, it's an interesting series of choke points that are like not invisible, but that you have to encounter by running into them. Like in Kitchen mm. Rush, running a kitchen, you've got recipes that come in and you've got ingredients and then you have, you know, ways to cook them, broadly speaking. Yeah. Whereas Rush MD, you can, the fact that you have, you know, you know patients that come into the hospital or outpatients, 
means that you kind of have two separate demands on things like the hospital supplies of syringes and pills. Or you might, or you know, you might admit a bunch of patients, but there are four separate tests that you have to do. And it's fine if all patients require four different tests. Four doctors can do four different minigames at the same time. But the moment patients start requiring the same minigame, it starts becoming mm. trickier. Overall, I think Rush MD feels like what if Kitchen Rush, but for a slightly more gamery group. Do you agree with that interpretation? Yes, I do. And I think that I'm you're absolutely right that there's like so many those choke. Describing them as choke points is really accurate where, you know, suddenly you come across something that is absolutely going to screw you, but you haven't quite realized it yet. Mm. And that's like a fascinating little thing to unpick. And I think you could really get like good and efficient at that game. I think the problem with Rush MD as like a game, you know, a more gamers game version of Kitchen Rush is that I think outside of its first few plays, yes. you haven't got a game that's going to be like continually evolving and rewarding once you've cracked that puzzle. Um, there there are some, you know, like in the base game, you do have all these like different objectives that you can try and fulfill that will sort of wrinkle the game. You have an easy mode and a hard mode. So there's stuff to get through. But I also think that, you know, the thing that Rush MD thrives on is the novelty of how funny and strange those mini games are. And also like how immediately cruel the game seems and how quickly it kind of becomes second nature to engage other systems. I really love that when you taught the game to me, I was think every rule you were telling me, I was like, oh God, this sounds horrible. But then by my second game, it was all like, I was running a hospital. It felt great. Yeah, I really liked the you and I using shorthand of like when a patient came in, it was, you know, it, it wasn't at the level of like, you know, the kind of like doctor chat you hear in like an episode of ER or Dr. House. But there was a little <laughs> bit of that where a patient would come in, you and I would both look at him and then we'd look at each other and I'd be like, we don't have enough IV fluid for this. So, and you went, yep, and I'll take him into surgery. And then like immediately, you know, there's a, we <laughs> fell into a really cute hospital style rhythm. I did tease earlier um, as to why uh, I would explain on this podcast why Rush MD sat in my review path for a long time. So you and I should yeah. probably talk about our biggest criticism of it. When you talk about the core box, Rush MD has a core box, which is pretty Spartan. And the reason I didn't play it for a long time is it has no campaign mode. And we've said it over and over again, but especially with cooperative games, what you want is a reason that once you've played a game once and seen, broadly speaking, everything, you need a reason to well, hopefully you don't see everything, so you have a reason to come back in for a second time. And Rush MD, like someone who's been opened up on an operating table, because it came out on Kickstarter, it's been separated into like these six boxes, which make it very difficult to like. So, <laughs> what kind of hospitals are you in where someone being on an operating table means they're separated into six? And then boxes? you're separated into legs, blood, <laughs> uh, brain waves, and uh, nerve endings, and then no, reassembled. And afterwards. then reassembled once they figure out what's wrong. So it's like. It's like taking a car for a car checkup. Um, so no, the, the, what, I, check what I really want in Rush MD is like some small mini expansions that are introduced over a campaign. That would be like the bar that this game should clear. But the campaign is actually a separate Kickstarter add-on along with two other bags of Kickstarter add-ons, Kickstarter add-ons one and Kickstarter add-ons two. And then there's <laughs> what, a big box expansion called Oh, Rush MD ICU. ICU. Yes. And a smaller expansion, which I desperately want to try, called Rush MD Maternity and Dental Clinics. And <laughs> as, you know, as a as a buyer's guide, it's very hard for Shut Up and Sit Down to recommend a game where it's like, you know, you could get this, but you know, it's 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 gonna be incredibly expensive. And I don't know. I would just have loved a core box that that we could say, this is great, go and get it. But the core box is pretty light. 
Yeah, I think there's definitely like, there's enough stuff in there if you think you're going to show this game to lots of different kind of groups of people. Or I think it would kind of work as a family game as well. I think if you're like slightly more, you know, if you're if you have a, a family that are slightly more predisposed to playing games, I think this could work quite well. I think there is enough in that core box for for that kind of group, but not enough for the gamers gamer that you think that like Rush MD could kind of cater to, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think but so. I think I think like what you said earlier about uh, like we sort of need a campaign element in these co-op games. I don't think that's necessarily true for like all campaign game or all, sorry all co-op games. I think it's just it especially holds true for these like real time dexterity based fast and loose kind of boxes where the novelty is kind of what gets them to the table. Um, and for the record, like some of the expansion stuff, I wanted to tell you about some of the what's in some of those expansion boxes because I opened them up and just had a little look around. And some of these mini games are so silly. Um, I haven't actually properly played with these. This is just skimming the rule books for them. But the let me tell you about babies, Quinn. Oh, please. Uh, <laughs> there is in the babies expansion, you get a tiny little red uh, plastic disc, which is an ultrasound disc. And then you have cards that have that sort of like, you know, like decrypto sort of like wiggly wobbly kind of like that i can't i, I can't acetate. describe it huh acetate the translucent stuff yeah the translucent acetate and then the sort of you know i wibbly wobbly stuff that you then put the acetate over to oh then try uh, and yeah scan. because it, it eliminates all colors but one which enables you to see a shape is that what you're talking yep, about and that shape is a baby right and then <laughs> once you have found the baby on the ultrasound card you then have to do a baby flipping mini game where you have to flip over babies until what? you match the baby depicted oh, on the card. not like flipping them like a pancake in a frying pan <laughs> no unfortunately not um but there's also in the dental expansion there is a very very funny part of the rule book that just says firstly roll the teeth like dice <laughs> <laughs> which <laughs> I thought was really great. And then you have to like rearrange teeth, I think with tweezers so that they don't have their rotten side face up, oh which is very, God. very funny. There's oh. like saline drips that you hook up to the beds. Oh, I've and seen those. Like, Little cardboard saline really, drips, yeah. Yeah. And then also like there's this really, there's something especially threatening about there being this like big cardboard ambulance still in punch board <laughs> that's like glaring me, at, uh, <laughs> glaring at me every single time I open the box. Um, it's like threatening to give me a very bad time. Um, oh, wow. I mean, I just... Um, and then what's in the ICU expansion? The ICU expansion, I think the saline drip's part of that. And then there's like a whole extra like different critical operating theater. And you have patients where you need to stabilize them by putting defibrillators on the corners of their beds. And then you say clear and everyone has to take their hands off the table at the same time. Um, there's a bunch of a bunch of weird stuff in there. Um, that's the big box. That's the one that has like, I think that potentially, and this is nuts, but I think the way that you're meant to play this game with its campaign expansion is you slowly add these modules until you're playing with an entire hospital. It's not true which... though, unfortunately. Oh, I, really? So the so the, the the campaign requires you to have Rush MDICU. Also, I don't even know if you can get the campaign or if it's just a Kickstarter extra. It doesn't seem to have been the focus of the design. But while the campaign slowly rolls in Rush MDICU, it does not roll in Rush MD maternity and dental clinics. Right, okay. Um, that, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like... It, uh, Really what I'm complaining about is that this game isn't for me. Because when you talked about playing um, Kitchen Rush with your family, you said they were less interested in the campaign mode. They were less yeah. interested in the game drip feeding. Here's a new mechanic. Here's a new wrinkle for the puzzle. Which is, of course, what I want as a gamer who's been kicking around for 20 years and 
playing games for 20 years and is just <laughs> bored and it just wants to feel young again. Um, but like for me, what I would have loved this game to be is like something like a pandemic legacy where by the end, yeah, you are running a whole hospital, but you don't, all of these really cool, funny, stupid mini games are revealed by like envelopes or boxes. Give me this mm. game, but in the format of my city and I am dreaming, you know? It's uh, interesting though, cause you have a like, it's it's a weird like slightly philosophical question where it's like would you prefer paying like like a hundred and whatever pounds for like all the expansions this game comes with like hundreds of pounds for it in one massive box that's compartmentalized or would you rather have that modularity so that if you don't like the system you can duck out like for us it's very easy to be like yeah we want this all in one big box but like we got it for free <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know. I, I, uh, we're still on the fence as to whether we're going to give this a full video review, aren't we? Because it is a cool box, mm -hmm. lots of fun ideas. It is a fantastic game to put in front of people and just show people um, because it's absurd. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't know. So do you think you'll cover it? Do you think, what if I put you on the spot? Tom, are you going to do a video review of Rush MD and show the world all of this stupid stuff? Maybe. I'm bad at committing to things, Quinns. I think maybe. I think, but I would lean towards yes because it's just so silly. The world needs to know about how silly this box is. The world needs to know. Um, the, we haven't even talked about the intern, which is the, oh. the first. This it's really. This is one of my favorite things ever. Um, the campaign includes a couple of extra uh, components, but the the first one is the first scenario of the campaign is run a hospital. Don't screw up. Don't kill too many people. Treat a bunch of people, but. You have an intern, and the intern, in the style of hospitals the world over, has to try everything. We have a phrase in the, the National Health Service here in the UK, which is, uh, what is it? See one, do one, teach watch one? Watch one, do one, teach one, yeah. Yeah, where you have to, you get to watch a procedure once, then you have to do it yourself, and then you have to be able to teach it to somebody else. Um, and so <laughs> the way that the campaign uh, uh, mirrors this is... You have a sand timer, which is an intern, and the intern sand timer has to do every task in the hospital once by the end of the game, which is four four-minute rounds. But yep. the intern sand timer takes twice as long to run out of sand <laughs> as any other sand timer. And it's just such a perfect combination of mechanics and theme of like, you know, you send the intern to go and draw blood and you're like, where's the intern? And you look and they're still drawing blood. Like <laughs> all this time, sand is still trickling through the sand timer and you're desperate to get them into the operating theater because it's the only operation you're going to do today. Ah, oh, so good. It's great. It's so good. It's, 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 it's a really, really thematic, very, very silly mechanic where it's not even, it's, it's like the problem that I found wasn't they took so long doing a task. It was that they would clog up a task that I needed to do like <laughs> now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the interns, we need blood right now, but the intern is still in there. He's already drawn the blood. He's just hanging out. <laughs> He's just talking to the person about Love Island. Get out of there. <laughs> Next up on this podcast, we're going to talk about Sobek, colon, two players. Is it just called, colon, it's just colon two players, not four two players? Yeah, that's, well, it's not called colon, it's Sobek and then a colon. <laughs> and then a colon, yeah. Don't be putting Sobek's two players. colon for two. This is a set collection game from Bruno Cathala and Sebastian Pochon, published by Catch Up Games. I would compare this to games like Targi, sort of a two player game, quite tense, quite bitey, quite mean, and quite tactical. Uh, what you've got on the table is this central six by six grid that is covered in square tiles, and in the center is a big onk piece. 
And on yeah. your turn, can we mention we're gonna... in ancient Egypt? I love ancient Egypt. Games called Sobek, because <laughs> Sobek's crocodile guard. What goods are we getting? Goods they had in ancient Egypt. You can go on. You can continue. like red, like marble that's red. Marble that's oh, red. That was, Tusks oh, that from cool. indeterminate origin. Fish, <laughs> flax. Uh, yeah, all the things that ancient Egypt knows and loves. Mm. Uh, you have this big onk piece in the center of this six by six grid or somewhere in the six by six grid at any given time. And on your turn, you're going to pick up that piece and you're going to move it and then pick up any tile in the direction that it's pointing. So if you imagine an, an uh, if you imagine a standard reference onk, it has sort of two <laughs> points. Um, and you can tell by looking at it if it's faced like vertically, horizontally, or diagonally. And if it's faced vertically, you can take any tile in that column. Horizontally, you can take any tile in its row. Diagonally, you can take any tile diagonally. Nice. The tile that you move to, you pick up and you put it in your hand, and then you rotate the onk to the facing that is shown on the tile you took. So like a tile might have this little shaded patch that shows up and down, so then you rotate the onk like vertically, which essentially gives your opponent the choice of tiles in a row or column or diagonal, depending on what tile you just took. It's kind of hard to explain how mm, this game it plays. It is, yeah. Um, once you've got three or more of the same kind of tile in your hand, you can play them in front of you into a set, which is where the set collection comes in. And those sets score by the number of tiles in the set multiplied by a little scarab symbol, but you only find that scarab on some tiles and different sets have different ratios of empty tiles to scarab tiles. So like, I think ivory is super valuable. You have like tons of scarabs on those tiles, but there's not many of them, but like cows, there's like shed loads of them, but you don't get many scarabs. Um, Again, it's really hard to explain this game without kind of seeing it played or seeing how it works, but hopefully you've got like a reasonable picture of it in your head. Uh, but the bulk of the game is this core loop of like taking a tile, but the tile that you take, changing the options that your opponent has for their turn. Yes. So you're playing this sort of strategic game of like prediction as to what your opponent's going to take if you put that onk in certain places and then trying to get them to take a certain thing that you know they want so you can then take a thing after what they do and so on and so forth. The uh, the tricky, well, I mean, the, everything about Sobek 2 players is tricky, but uh, one <laughs> of the tricky things is that uh, you're kind of playing a hand management game because if you're collecting, say, cows, you know, like Tom said, you need to put down at least three of them to make a set. So it might make sense for you to hang on to those cows. Maybe you collect four cows, maybe you collect five cows, so then you can put five cows down in the set because what you don't want, and this, even though you won't want it, it'll happen all the time. You'll put down <laughs> a set of three, like three marble, and then you'll collect another marble, but you can't add that to your collection of marble because you need to have at least three marble to put them down as a set and add them to yeah. your pre-existing set. The other wrinkle though, is that putting down a set is what you do on your turn instead of picking up a tile. So the game has this curious like ebb and flow where Technically, what's the most the most efficient thing to do is to spend your turn collecting a huge hand and then put down a huge set. Um, but you might find yourself choosing to put down sets early because if you don't, if your opponent has kind of snookered you and moved the onk in the marketplace <laughs> so that it's pointing at two things your opponent knows that you don't need, you might go, you know what? I'm not going to pick up either of those two things. I'm going to put down a set. Now it's your turn to pick up one of those two bad things. <laughs> it, you, you you described it as Targi earlier, which is, of course, a, a famous classic two-player game of players being difficult on a grid at one another. <laughs> um, it reminded me of Jaipur, actually, which is a two-player ancient world marketplace game, also a classic, which is all about making sets and hand management. Sobek is kind of equidistant between Jaipur and Targi, and I like it a lot, but immediately I'm like, I don't think it's as good as Jaipur 
or Targi, which puts <laughs> it in a really challenging space. Yeah, it's true. It's like third on the list. Like once you have those two, I mean, that's the question for me is like, I don't have Targi in my collection. I have Sobek, but like, should I get Targi? Because I think I prefer it. I think that maybe our biggest, like, I don't think, I think both of us agreed that we didn't find this too off-putting, um, but I, it's just something to know about this game is, oh wait, were you going to say that you liked it? I, I will tell you, I just now rated it on Board Game Geek a solid 7.3. <laughs> so getting granular i did you know usually i stick to the out of 10 system but sometimes a game like sobek comes along and i just have to slap down that decimal place because it's exactly yeah. 0.3 better than 7 out of 10 <laughs> you know like I, I i pretty much wholeheartedly agree with a 7.3 out of 10 ranking like you've really hit the nail on the on the head there the onk on the head the thing that i think might rub people up the wrong way and might drop it from that the lofty heights of 7.3 <laughs> to more of a 6.2 what uh, is that <laughs> it depends on your um relationship towards randomness right right um in uh, i was gonna say okay, i was gonna call it targi and i, I was just like, no, called it targi yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was gonna call it targi oh don't be silly it's called onk no it's called soda <laughs> no, it's called Jiper. no it's called soda yeah. <laughs> this is the problem with games that use the ancient world is that they end up using ancient world terminology and that is not something that's like on deck in your head yeah in your vernacular people like... do not understand how <laughs> difficult it is to be a board game reviewer let me tell you so the game actually encourages you to put like your sets down early because it has these oh, pierogue yeah, yeah, tiles, yeah. The pierogue these little tiles. tiny boats that you, <laughs> yep, that you have on the side of the board and they'll give you like a, a random, well, not a random bonus you can choose from the set of five, but those bonuses can be quite swingy and quite powerful. And then on top of that, you have these character tiles that populate the grid and these are played face down. And when you pick them up, they have like a certain ability or you can use them to contribute towards a certain suit. Those are all random because they're placed face down. And then on top of that, a lot of things in the game will get you Deneb tokens, which are these little <laughs> tiny little coins. I'm amazed I remember that, that are in this little sequestered away in this little pouch on the side of the board. But the Deneb tokens have a huge range from three points to like nine points. And I think that might have been like, you know, it might have been seven or eight points was like the difference between our scores at the end of the game. Um, there is a lot of randomness that is built into this game in ways that I can imagine people finding frustrating. To me, I did not mind. I think that the motions of playing this game are sufficiently satisfying that like there being these kind of like big bumper bonuses didn't ever feel like too much of a problem because I always felt like I was getting something that was big and silly at the same time. But I can imagine it leaving a really sour taste in someone's mouth if your opponent pulls a nine Deneb on the one time they choose to pick one up from the bank and you pull a three. You know, um, I, I also have all of this written down that there is a fair bit of randomness in the game, but it, you know, it, it's to Sobek's credit, I beat you and I beat you because I outplayed you. There's not yes. that much <laughs> randomness in, I mean, there is a lot of randomness, but because there are enough sources of randomness, it kind of evens out. It's like, if there were just the Deneb tokens, I would find that annoying. Yeah, but yeah. Also like, it's not like you, what I like about Sobek is that um, the randomness happens when you say it does. Like you were picking up more characters where you had no idea what they were going to do. And they ended up being quite powerful, but that was yeah. your decision to take that risk. If you choose to do an action that lets you reach into the Deneb token bag or whatever, you choose to do that. And similarly, choosing to complete a set early to grab a, oh no, I've forgotten the third term. A, a pirogue. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> a pirogue. <laughs> choosing to complete a set early to explore the pirogue tiles is a decision. So it felt a little bit more like a kind of mini casino where like I'm playing this tactical game that's really pretty clever 
But additionally, sometimes I'm like, I'm going to take a little pull on the slot machine. Mm. And I really did like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 can, I can see that as well. I, I also think that we neglect to mention there's a very nice, like, little mini game of corruption that's in the game. Oh, I had that written where... down as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had written down in my notes, taking corruption is, all capitals, zesty. <laughs> It is zesty. It's very zesty. Um, essentially, in this game, when you, you know, I said that when you, you point the Ankh piece uh, in a line, you take any tile. It's kind of true. You can take any tile you want, but any tile that you skip over goes in your corruption stack. And the more corruption you have, the, the worse it is. But only if your opponent has, like, no corruption. Because at the end of the game, it's the person that has the most who suffers. And the other person gets a little goody two-shoes bonus uh, of, like, a Deneb. <laughs> For having, like, every three corruption less you have, you get a spare Deneb, I think, or something like that. Um, but then again, I think there's something really zesty about that because you're banking on doing this, like, low corruption strategy. You're banking on those pulls being, like, worth it at the end of the game. And maybe you should just dabble a little bit in, in just getting your hands a little bit dirty. Uh, it's nice. It's, it's a zesty little system. I'll tell you what else. I really like the art in Sobek 2 Players and Tom... It's 20 pounds. 20 pounds for this game feels like, you know, correct to the point of being generous. Um, I don't like it as much as Jaiper, but honestly, I got rid of my copy of Targi and the expansion. And I do kind of regret that because I do sort of want to play it again. But clearly, <laughs> it, I can't have loved it that much if I no longer own it. So do you want do you want a copy of Sobek 2 players to replace it? Yeah. <laughs> what if I do? I think this is to be fair, this is actually not very, like, this isn't very useful for the listeners in terms of, because I think you're quite mercenary with your board game collection in the way that other people aren't. No, honestly, yeah. Um, the, I, th I get rid of games and then regret getting rid of them frequently. Um, uh, <laughs> so that doesn't actually tell you a great deal. Much to my disappointment when I message you, like, have you still got that copy of that game that you reviewed and liked? And then you don't have it, and I'm sad. Honestly, if anyone listening to this podcast uh, wants to send me a copy of Targi, I would not turn it down because I really feel <laughs> it's, I keenly feel its absence in my collection. I honestly feel like I might have lent it to someone and just not gotten it back. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, Serpic Two Players. If you want a two-player game that maybe has enough randomness that you want to play it as a best of three, just like Jaipur, um, I would say pick it up. It's only £20. It looks nice. Uh, there you 7. go. 7.3 out of 10. 7.3. Yeah, it's quite damning, isn't it? Finally, we're going to be talking about wormholes. That's me going through a wormhole. I knew that was what sound you were making. That was great. This is designed yeah. by Peter McPherson, uh, the designer of Tiny Towns, uh, a good little yeah. puzzle game um, that got a good little expansion. Uh, and this is also put out by AEG. Now, a while back, you may remember Tom and I talking about an AEG game called The Guild of Merchant Explorers, which we described as having an almost indescribably dull theme, um, but being basically kind of better than you expect. And Wormholes, again, also from AEG, is pretty much exactly the same thing. It comes in a box that's a little larger than you'd like. The price is a little more than I'd like. Um, it retails at £40, and I'd love for it to retail at £30, and I had the same criticism of Guild of Merchant Explorers. And also, like Guild of Merchant Explorers, this is a game about trying to explore a hexagonal grid. Like, it's, it's kind of peculiar to me. They've released so games that are so similar, but candidly... I think I'm going to end up owning them both because I know that you're giving me the company the copy of um, Guild of Merchant Explorers and I'm going to hang on to my copy of Wormholes as well. I like it a lot. 
How does that make you feel, Tom? It makes me feel good. There's no time to hear how you feel. I have to talk about the game, okay? <laughs> so the game is all the players around the table have little spaceships that all have the same starting point, the sort of home space station, and collectively you need to go and map out the galaxy by creating wormholes. Now, the galaxy is big. There's planets, there's nebulas, there's black holes, there's something called a photon cannon. We'll get into that later. <laughs> um, the galaxy is also randomized. And you're going to get points in this game from delivering passengers. But that's going to be, initially, a nightmare because everyone on their turn has three little battery tokens. And if you move one hex, you flip over a battery. You move a second hex, flip over a battery. You move a third time, flip over a battery. That's the end of your turn. That's all you can do. <laughs> and that will just nudge you across the board in a really pathetic fashion. However, a free action you can take on your turn is to put down one of your beautiful little wormhole poker chips. So these come in pairs. So you have two ones, two twos, two threes, two fours, two fives. You have to place them in that order. So you place the first one, then the second one, then the next two and the second two. And so on your turn, you can fling out as many of these tokens as you want around your ship, wherever you are in the galaxy. And once you put down, for example, both ones, you flip them over to their brightly colored side. And those ones are now considered adjacent spaces. So Wormholes mm. is kind of a transport tycoon game. It's players all <laughs> flying off and trying to create shortcuts. And here's the twist. Players can, and definitely will, use one another's wormholes. But every time you use another player's wormhole, they get a point. And in doing all of this, in creating this occasionally incredibly useful and occasionally really stupid if you're playing with Tom, as I like, oh, <laughs> Tom's mapped the path to the green planet. Great. Ah, oh, Tom, why is that? And Tom has placed like the entrance and exit of the wormhole both in places you would not want to go. Um, uh, and you're then trying to play basically a, a maybe the first pick up and deliver game I have enjoyed in a lot. That's not. That's not true. That's not true to the, the poor malign genre of pick up and deliver. But as you're arriving at planets, you're playing this kind of um, gambling game of collecting passengers and maybe throwing passengers away. Passengers you throw away can be picked up by anybody else at the space station where you all started the game. And you're trying to deliver big sets of passengers to planets, which is going to get you mundo points. Um, once yep. players have placed wormholes up on every planet in the galaxy, so essentially you've done potentially a good, potentially a bad job of mapping the entire galaxy, then everyone gets three more turns <laughs> and the game's over. So it's pretty fast. You can uh, wrap this game up, including the teach. I think we finished a two-player game, including the teach in under an hour. And if players yeah, something like that. knew what they were doing, I think you could finish a three or four-player game in under an hour as well. That's a big long... Ooh, sh we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the special features of the galaxy in a little bit. So photon cannons, wild wormholes, nebulas and black holes and the various tricks they let you do. But uh, yeah, I've been rambling. Tom, what did you think of wormholes? <laughs> I think uh, the only thing I've got written down for this game really is that like I would imagine someone playing this game really, really well as being like playing 5D chess with yourself because the best <laughs> time to place a wormhole was two turns ago. With me playing this game... I was playing 5D chess with myself and I was losing spectacularly because I like shat the bed pretty early on with this one because you you were really laughing at quite how bad my space infrastructure was because I I I, I had the you know the the visuals the optics of a well-run space network I had wormholes in all the right places but they were absolutely useless. Like <laughs> I had parked like a worm. I can't remember what I did, but I kept going to a destination, then putting a wormhole down and then forgetting that I hadn't put one down at the start of my journey. So I had to trudge all the way back, <laughs> spending those three batteries. 
uh, to slowly tug across the galaxy. But then, you know, I did get to use your excellent network quite a lot. Um, like, you know, you left all these wormholes for other people. And I think that you were, you know, every time I used your network, you get uh, a point, which is lovely. But I felt, and you probably certainly felt like one point <laughs> wasn't enough for the, well, like, it's, the it's quality interesting. that your network was delivering. Listen, it's interesting because I I felt that way. I was like, oh, Tom blasts across the galaxy and, and I save him multiple turns of travel and he gets one point. Oh, I, and then I get one point. That doesn't feel mm. great. But then later, I used your wormhole to visit a planet, drop off a passenger, and then went back through your wormhole and realized I'd just given you two points to earn two points. Which, if, <laughs> like, if you use the same wormhole to and from, then that player's getting two points, and suddenly that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I the thing I really liked about this game is that, and not just because I'm competitive, but the thing I really liked about wormholes is as we were playing it, you kept saying, "I don't know what I'm doing," and yeah, I want to drill yeah. down into that sentence as to why I think it's really cool because so many <laughs> board games, especially now that you know we've we've got some pretty rigid genres now, you can usually teach board games in 2022 by being like this is like a worker placement game but or this is mm. a real time you know this is like kitchen rush but it's in a hospital whatever wormholes in it, it didn't quite resemble anything i've ever played before like i couldn't lock into any of the traditional ways of thinking or like puzzling i have to play efficiently like you you and i were having this discussion 20 minutes into our first game where we were like trying to figure out what the racing line is, trying to figure out how to play wormholes efficiently mm. is like starting, you have to throw away any knowledge you have of, of how you play a lot of other board games because this, just the central teleporting mechanic is just really, really curious. And mm. I loved that. I really did. Yeah, and I, I think that, I would reckon this game was would be better with more players. I think it doesn't necessarily fire on all cylinders uh, at two because no. you have limited ability to create a sort of interdependent network. You just have your sort of your own network that occasionally gets used by another player because also you get a little splash of extra points for delivering to every planet. Um, so you kind of want to like, you know, you will use someone else's network to get to a planet just so you can finish it off. But in in a in a larger player count game, I think you would have this really curious little network of like people trying to put down anchors of like, you know, making their part of the network, mapping out a certain bit so that they're going to rake in all the points because other players are just going to use it to get somewhere. But also like on top of that, I think the fact that you have to really think so far ahead in this sort of pick up and deliver game you have to like really pre-plan what your route is going to look like and you have to use those sort of galactic features um creatively well you have to like i think the thing that i really like about it as well is like because the map is completely random every time you have to create that puzzle of creating a map of how you're going to sort of monkey bar through all those different systems and your sort of rough overview of all the planets that then gets wrinkled by what passengers you draw is going to create a puzzle that is like fascinating every time you play. Yeah, so we it's just cool. very briefly, because I had these written down. So the photon cannon, if you drive into it, will blast you in a straight line as many spaces as you want, which is like <laughs> ludicrous. But also in our game, it was just pointed at a bunch of walls, which was kind of, <laughs> it was funny. And uh, there's wild wormholes which are like you know maybe my favorite mechanic um just because on the most challenging mechanic so there are wormholes on the board printed number three and number four and they connect to anyone's number three or anyone's number four the moment that's created which which is so ludicrous because you know ordinarily the green two links to the green two that's it but now 
the wild wormhole links to the red three, the blue three, the yellow three. Yeah. Like it's crazy. But I, I was considering creating just some bad wormholes because there's no limit of how many of your tokens you can drop in a turn. Just like putting a load of horrible transport links just so I could drop my three so I could fling myself across the galaxy into the wormhole. Uh... There's nebulas, which basically work like um, ice rinks. Like if you're on a nebula, you can travel around it for free and then slide off. And then there's the black <laughs> hole, which was not in our game because all these... The, the tokens, the, the boards you used to build the galaxy are double-sided. The black hole, you drive into it and then you draw a passenger card and you show up at that planet. So, which, oh, that's cute. It's very cute if you get dunked into the furthest reaches of the galaxy where no one has built any infrastructure and then have to drive <laughs> home. Like oh, the ship in Star Trek Voyager, which I think was called Voyager. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. I also had written down that we played it with two, which I think it didn't sing at, but I really enjoyed our game of it. But yeah, I really yeah. want to play it with three. And then if I played it with three, I'd want to play it with four because at the four and five player counts, you have a bigger galaxy. I'd also mm. quite want to play it with five because frankly, while the galaxy is big, it's not that big. It's just you travel across it really slow, which means there's kind of a rush for parking spaces around the central station of <laughs> even putting your like your like the first half of each wormhole down. It's like, you don't want to put, you don't want to have to like drive away from the space station to get into somebody's wormhole. So... Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting. I'm smiling even describing it, even though it's kind <laughs> of dull. I really wonder if it would if it could I think it could probably support the weight of five players because your turns are so snappy in this game. Like you're right, our game was very quick. But the mental load on five players would be pretty intense. Like <laughs> yeah. I can imagine people sat there with their head in their hands going, when you have this game sixteen because... wormholes that are all like yeah, exactly. <laughs> that are all pointing at each other, yeah. And you, you, you know, you're right that like the thing with this game is that it's a puzzle that like we haven't encountered. Like, I guess you very ungenerously, you could describe this game as a pick up and deliver game. But but like there is so much. It's hard to understate how weird the puzzle is when you when you first get presented with it. Like I had no idea of like how I was meant to start engaging with it. But I do think and this is something I wanted to touch on is like. You are way, way, way more... Ex I like Wormholes a lot, but you are way, way, way more excited about it than me. I think that it kind of represents a difference in, like, our critical approach at the moment. Okay, cool. Where I think, like, I'm still searching for, like, the best of systems that I know that I like, and I'm still mm. trying to, like... Because at the moment, I'm still in this place where I'm trying to get better at games. I'm enjoying, like, drilling down into mechanics I like. So, like, at the moment, I'm just playing, like, shed loads of deck builders. Um, whereas I think for you, you're looking at games, you know, you, you, you've, you've probably played the best deck builder. You've played the best worker placement game. You're looking for that fresh hit of something that you've never smelt before. This reminds me of um, when we went, uh, we had that, um, trip, uh, where we spent a week playing games with friend of the show, Rand, who, um, was, had been playing, was so interested in board games and had been looking for new board games for so long that the games he was showing us were like, ah. Oh, you're, you're not going to believe this. This is a German game that never came out in English in the 1990s. Or like his bag of Japanese trick-taking games, which were basically trick-taking games with like a very small twist. And that was when you found out about, um, what was the show? Cat in a Box. Cat in a Box. <laughs> yeah. That game is fantastic. Oh man. But like Rand very much, kind of like what you're describing, he was just looking for, for something new, something really fresh and would go yeah. to any lengths to get it. And yeah, Wormholes to me, I've my collection has my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game. My, my board game collection has my favorite deck builder. I now want stuff which is just a little bit curious, a little bit funky, and Wormholes really fills that slot. I do think I prefer it to Guild of Merchant Explorers. Um, as, yeah. Uh, as both games about sort of like traveling across a hex grid published by AEG that are slightly too expensive. 
<laughs> oh, the other thing I wanted to say about wormholes, when you have a good turn, it's so cool. Like by the end of the game, it, oh, yeah. it ends at a really good point. But by the very end, even of our two player game where the board doesn't have much infrastructure, it would be like, okay, I'm gonna zip through this wormhole, pick up a passenger, zip right back through it. I haven't even moved yet. I'll start moving. I'll slide across the nebula. I'll slide into the black hole that catapults me to the other side of the galaxy and then drop these three passengers, bam, 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 for a ton of points. It feels yeah. like I had it written down that, because wormholes isn't a super exciting theme, that this game could be rethemed into like a jet set radio or like some kind of rollerblade pizza delivery game if it, <laughs> if it worked for the fact that fundamentally it's about teleportation. Like, well, I mean, teleporting pizza delivery guys is a very, very cool theme. So. That is a better theme than than wormholes, yeah. Than and, space. Than space. But it is true that it, it you know, it feels like wormholes. Yeah. Pow, uh, <laughs> where are you? You're not there anymore. Pow, you're by another planet. It's crazy. Yeah. How, how do wormholes work? We don't know, but they feel cool. Tom Brewster, before we wrap up this podcast, I know that you have just released a video review of the monstrously large and heavy and expensive chip theory game Burn Cycle. A cyberpunk game about doing heists, but you're robots and you're fighting robots. Is that right? You're fighting humans inside of bigger robots. Oh, correct. cool. Okay. Well, not correct, but I, yes. I want to know about Burn Cycle, Tom. Is it good? Is it bad? You can watch the video to find out, you lazy. That, what, I, but I'm your friend. Can you not just just push between two friends? I don't. I don't have. I'm a busy Quins, man. Quins, the people have been here long enough. They can find out my takes on Burn Cycle by just spending. 18 minutes of their life watching a negative review uh, of a game about very expensive poker chips. I will give the sort of like the critical skinny, which is that like Burn Cycle is such an interesting thing to me because the first few times I played it, I, me and my housemate Luke played it and we stayed up until like half one in the morning playing this game because we were so like entranced by the game has this amazing feeling when you're doing well of like hitting I, I describe it in the video as hitting every bumper on the pinball table. Like oh, you cool. are just monkey barring between bonus to bonus to bonus to bonus. And you're like, oh, and I'll do that. And you can do that. And I'll do that. And you can do that. And then you're just absolutely monstering this corporation. And the first game we played was like, this is electric. This is brilliant. I love it. And then every single game that we played afterwards slowly chipped away at my enthusiasm until we managed to get about a quarter of the way through a game and then gave up. And wow. that's kind of my experience with the box is that like, you can just, like, you described it when I was talking to you about my, my troubles with Burn Cycle as kind of like a roguelike, but it's a roguelike that has so much setup and teardown time that you just can't treat it as being, like, flippant and silly when you lose. It just feels horrible. Uh, interesting. So I did a big review of, of the publisher's other poker chip filled uh, big hit, which was uh, Too Many Bones. People can see mm -hmm. that on the Shut Up and Sit Down YouTube channel. I really ended up quite liking Too Many Bones. I liked it so much more than I expected for a game that is almost entirely plastic and insanely complicated <laughs> and full of just stupid ideas, but it all came together. But I, I now, I, I, as much as I'm annoyed that you're not just gonna tell me well, you kind of did. I ended up weaseling out your opinion of Burn Cycle anyway. You told me you weren't going to tell me. <laughs> you were sneaky. But you did. But I'm going to watch it anyway, because this is your first negative review. Is this your first? Did you did you succumb to the dark side of being a critic and write a very funny, mean review? It's, it's, I, don't think, I don't think, okay, I don't think it's that funny. But I think it's, it is, but it is not, it's mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, um, people uh, listening to this should know that mean reviews do sometimes make the most entertaining viewing. So... If you're listening to this, you should head over immediately to youtube.com slash shut up and sit down. Is that is that let's see if that URL works. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
YouTube. <laughs> yeah, test it. Test it. Shut up. Sit. Sit down.